When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Hello and welcome to Sentimental Garbage, a podcast where we talk about the culture we love that society sometimes makes us feel ashamed of. My name is Caroline and I separate my egg whites before throwing them away. <laughs> and she's leaving comments on your brownie recipe. It's Kate Young. Hello. <laughs> Hi, Kate Young. Hello, Caroline. How are you? I'm well. <laughs> I'm not well, actually. No. I'm not well. No. <laughs> I got you to come over because I am too uh, up the walls with other projects yes. to edit any went, of the podcasts I have in the cam. You are deep on deadline. I am deep on deadline. I was like, who do I know who's reasonably close by <laughs> and who also can speak in perfect sound bites and needs no editing? <laughs> and that person is Kate Bloody Young. And I cannot wait until two o'clock this afternoon where you're like, I've got four hours of edit to do on this bitch. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, how did I think that this would be a time saver? Yeah. Recording more podcasts is a solution. To being able to put a podcast out. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, but this is a subject that uh, we have been discussing for some time now. Ages. Oh, ages. Uh, last year, I did a series of episodes on Twee, mm-hmm. which are among my favourite in the canon. <laughs> They are so good. I love them. Um, and uh, I'm hoping I can do sort of more mini docu-series. Yes. Or what I would call a docu-series, which is just asking people, what, what was that like for what you? Was that, what was that about? What was that time like? <laughs> yeah. Um, but I remember during that time, I saw you at so- out somewhere and I was finding that my twee research was also throwing up a lot of cupcake recipes mm. and baking paraphernalia and like... Books that I remember seeing everywhere. It's like 101 cupcakes. I owned all of them. But I'm sure you did. <laughs> and I remember you having this very deep response to it being like, yeah, I was there in the middle of that moment. Mm. And I guess I wanted to talk to you about, you know, what what was going on there? Mm. What baking's all about? Why it makes me feel so threatened? Why I'm so uncomfortable yeah. with this? And uh, yeah, I mean, let's just start from there. I think they are very good questions because they are questions I have spent the last 10 years asking myself as well. Uh, I I think that 20, like t- I moved here in, to England in 2009 and from 2009 to sort of 2012, 13, I really remember a lot of hummingbird bakery conversations. Yes, yes. I, I cannot fathom 
how many times I stood outside Hummingbird Bakery and had an enormously tall cupcake for something like four pounds mm-hmm. and where that was the, like the height of London and the thing that you would go and do on it a Saturday. Really was. And were you, I remember this time very well, um, I was working in Soho and there was that branch on Wardour Street mm-hmm. and you were right there was oh, a yes. queue out the door Always. all the time. All the time. And yeah. I haven't seen, I don't know if that branch is still there because I don't often live here anymore. Um, no, but yeah, I, I can't picture it anymore, and I have walked up and down Wardour Street, but maybe it still is. Strangely, the culture has morphed and gone on steroids since then. Yes, it's become a whole different thing. But essentially, yeah. I think baking was a massive, massive part of not only my life but my identity, mm. um, in a way that felt very of that moment, but also because you only ever look inwards. It yeah. felt like a thing that I was doing deliberately. Right. And I was having a shower this morning and thinking about it on the way here. Not having a shower on the way here, but <laughs> just before I left to come here. Uh, and and really had a moment of going, I did at that point, when I analysed this a couple of years ago and really was thinking about that time and thinking about quite how much baking I did and took into my places of work. Mm. Quite how much of my weekend time I spent baking. Quite how much of that era of twee and cakes mm-hmm. I was invested in and really deeply invested in. Yeah. I I made a real active move a couple of years ago to sort of step away from it. Mm-hmm. And then thought in the shower this morning, I was like, it wasn't just me. That was the twee moment. That was yeah. the whole thing. And stepping away from it was also a thing that we all culturally did. It wasn't just a thing that I decided I was going to do. The tone of e.g. I think Bake Off is a really great way to track this because mm-hmm. Bake Off has been around since before the London 2012 Olympics the thing by which we measure all things yes yeah. um, <laughs> all history and all things uh, and it continues obviously today and tonally feels like a different a little bit of a different thing now mm. and it feels like a different thing I think because the it's a machine that has been going for years now and it is a machine that often produces people who write fantastic cookbooks and mm-hmm. write really great things. Genuine celebrities. Genuine celebrities. And I think that the the people who were going on it in series one possibly mm-hmm. had a different relationship to assuming what the outcome would look like yeah. than people who are applying for it for series 12. Yes. I th- yes. I think that you have a different expectation of what that might look like. Absolutely. I think most people now, I think even people who go on something like a brand new show, like The Traitors or something, yeah. there's a lot of like amateur actors on that. There's of a lot course. of people who are hoping it turns into something because there is now a machine that can catch reality stars in a way that there wasn't when, say, America's Next Top Model was around. Definitely. Most of those girls simply never worked again. Simply never worked again. <laughs> because, probably because they never recovered from the critiques, because I would not have. No, I wouldn't either. No lame Aaron call no, me a oh slab God, of meat. Slab of meat? <laughs> um, but I think, so I remember the associations with Bake Off at that time. And, and to, to sort of say where I'm coming with mm. all of this, this could not have touched off of me less. Yes. So it, I was I was eating the cupcakes that the Kates were bringing into the offices, <laughs> but I was the only time I was ever baking was when I was trying to make weed into cake. Yeah. <laughs> like that was Amazing. my vibe back in the 2010s. Yeah. Um, but I certainly noticed it, and I was certainly adjacent enough to, I guess, twee culture. Yes. Um, to notice the overlap. And I think what's interesting is that, like, the thing that brought Bake Off such a claim Mm. was that it emerged out of this era of mean reality TV. Mm-hmm. You're America's Next Top Model. You're America's Next Top Model. No, Lee Marin calling you a slab indeed. of beef. <laughs> 
Indeed. Um, noted fashion photographer, <laughs> Nigel Barker. Nigel Barker. Um, and, and like crueler than America's Next Time. Yeah, I'll horrible even. things. Horrible like, stuff. Who's the daddy? Who's, oh my gosh. And and all of the sort of like super size, like weight loss programs. Totally. The people screaming at people. Like horrible yeah. images of food on TV. Food being associated with like really deep moral panic oh my god like those food shows where it would be like it would go to like a, a fat family's home mm-hmm. and they would like lay out everything they ate yep. in a week and sort of just like like I can't remember what that woman is called Gillian something Gillian McKeith McKeith Dr. Gillian McKeith <laughs> Dr. Gillian weirdly there's a reference to her in my new book which is coming no out way. in June yeah yeah um, but uh, yeah it was like this weird Hester Prynne yeah. kind of puritanical moment of like, look what you're putting in your children's bodies. Look Absolutely. how you're poisoning them. And all of that is like circle of shame. It's all connected yeah. to that same era of life here. And in Australia, I was in Australia during most of that time and it existed in Australia yeah. as well. But yeah, you're right. Bake Off came along and was sort of... We're nice. Really nice. Yeah, and it was so refreshing to... Which is why I think it's, it's probably palled in fame because uh, other shows have caught up. I think yes. you, you see more of that. You see the pottery throw down, yeah. the glass blowers, yeah. all that. They're all just really nice to each other. Yeah, and, yeah. and that people realise it's like, oh, and you know, drag race, whatever, that people yeah. do just want to see nice people tell their stories and do what they do best, yeah. which is like a lovely <laughs> yeah, moment for it, humanity. Yes, for us to realise that what is really nice is watching people try hard and mostly succeed. Yeah, and make some good friends make along some the good way. friends along the way. Like yeah. most people on Bake Off go on and don't don't do badly and you're not really watching for somebody to have a crisis no. or a terrible moment unless you're watching celebrity bake-off so that you can get memes of you know people having a terrible time and, yeah, and making sure. bad things I mean, but we're like still people right exactly <laughs> but the people who go on regular bake-off yeah we want them to succeed we want yeah. somebody to make a cake that looks beautiful and stands up and yeah. is spectacular we don't want somebody to fall on their face no and that was and that also was so adjacent to the twee movement mm. because it was about niceness it yes. was about niceness following a very harsh time it was the kind of the anti sort of the anti Perez Hilton almost the, yeah. like, the sort of we observe the meanness of the world it's like free hugs and yep. it's like soft boys like the beginning of soft boys mm-hmm. happened in Twee with like just men listening to the Smiths and wearing the cardigans and scruffy <laughs> boy and all yep. that kind of stuff and also, sorry 500 days of summer yeah aesthetic. right yeah very strange film very strange film yeah um, but yeah so it's like niceness and baking mm. were sort of very glued together in that era and I yes. think of like Zoe Deschanel to go back to 500 like she yeah. was the icon that of, icon of tweed yeah yeah. but even on um, on The New Girl which is a show I've only watched a little bit of and I think was a great show and she was great on it yeah. um, but there were I remember there being an episode where she was always fucking baking yes. she was a primary school teacher yep. that was and it was like a joke how much yes. she tried yes. do you know what I mean and there was a point where like uh, some girlfriend of one of the boys that she worked with, that she lived with rather, yes. was like, does not like a cupcake. Does not like a cupcake, right? And was like, which, and the kind of point of view of that character, which was almost like the point of view of all the bloggers who were taking against the show, <laughs> yes. was like, we see, I see what you're doing. You're putting, you're playing up this sort of femininity and yes. this nice girl bakery thing. And I know that you're trying to steal my boyfriend. <laughs> Yes. And then the character being just so like, I just like it. Yes. And, and she yeah. does win around. The thing is, yeah, what, she the around. outcome of that yeah. story is like, 
she sits down on the sofa with her and they have a cupcake and she does eventually steal her boyfriend, but not in a stealing way. It's just like just later eventually. in the show. <laughs> yeah. And so like, I, I, I find that interesting. I don't want to like be like, isn't it weird how we all just committed all this time to this fucking stupid <laughs> It's like lots of people, like, I mean, it's, it's a much better hobby than looking at your phone. You yeah, know? it is. And also I think it came very much out of, the financial crash and mm-hmm. people having much less disposable yeah. income mm-hmm. and baking being a thing that can feel incredibly luxury because it is by its very nature not necessary mm-hmm. we all need food mm-hmm. to eat but technically nobody needs a cake yeah like you do not need a cake to survive you can survive on other food and in fact a cake isn't doing an enormous amount to contribute to like e.g. the vitamins and nutrients you need Mm -hmm. to get for your body to operate in the way that it needs to operate. Mm -hmm. That is not to say I don't think we should eat cake. I love (laughs) cake. Cake is great. (laughs) And I I am not ever interested in putting any moral sort of role on any particular food. That is not how I cook or how I eat or my relationship with food. Mm -hmm. However, a cake is luxury. Mm-hmm. A cake is something that is an addition to the other things you're making, an addition to the other things that you're putting on the table every day, mm. a thing that doesn't have to be there, mm. but can be because you love you or the people around you or cake or icing yeah. or whatever it is, but it is about joy. Like it baking is. is about putting joy on a table and being like, hey, I made this thing and now we're all going to have it. Or, yeah. hey, I made this thing and now I'm going to have it and feel great about it. Yeah. And that is a really nice thing and it's also not incredibly expensive to do and in a time where everything had crashed the financial crash of Mm -hmm. 2008 there was a real movement towards what can we do that will feel very fancy but that i can do for not a lot which is the hummingbird bakery that is why you queue up outside a hummingbird bakery that was a commercialization of the magnolia bakery exactly which was sex in the city City. right and it being this one thing from the show yeah i also think that was the sort of the success of um Maybelline's Great Lash Mascara. Yeah, of course it is. Top, yes. That was present in so many rom yes. Like You see it and you're like, I have. can have... Sorry, me? Yeah, me? me? <laughs> Stupid exactly. me? Exactly. Stupid poor me? It's poor me? I can't <laughs> afford a pair of Jimmy Choo shoes or I can't afford whatever it is, Manolo Blahnix. But yeah. I can go to Magnolia Bakery in yeah. New York or I can go to the bakery that they've built in my town that feels like it's trying to be Magnolia and it's not yeah. quite but it definitely is and it's perfect and I can go there and afford it and I feel like a real grown up and a cool person I'm a real grown up yeah it's nice yeah it is really nice and so like important it, weirdly like this is something I've said on the podcast before on our snacks episode but um you know my my mom owns a sweet shop in yes. York City my favorite thing my favorite thing actually sometimes I'm like that is a cute fact it's about me it's a really cute <laughs> fact about you <laughs> Well, I remember that coming out of, I was, um, you know, after the financial recession and um, my mom was like, people want to buy lipstick and sweets. Yes. It's like, and she, it's like, even though she, and I I love my mom so much, I'm so proud of her. She had never had a job. Yeah. But she had been a consumer and a woman. Yeah. And a head of a household purse for years and therefore was like, yeah, people are going to, that's what people are going to want to buy. And both of those industries have. She's not wrong. Like, exactly that. It's, it's, it's affordable luxury. Yeah, yeah, and it, it kind of brings me back to sort of like women and purchasing power and sweets. Yes. I was doing a lot of reading this morning about post-war mm. baking, and I think we all we're also familiar with the uh, narrative of sort of post-war, generally America, but I think it was a kind of a 
global Western, you know, phenomenon of like, hey, you can't work in that factory anymore. You can't have that job anymore. That belongs to a man. He killed a Nazi. Have you killed a have Nazi? Have you killed a Nazi? What have you done? What have you ever done? You just stood here and made ammunition yeah. in a factory. And we're grateful, yeah. but let's not get ahead of ourselves. Um, but not only are we grateful, but your main role now is yeah. to repopulate the men who have all died. Yeah. Like your big job is please go back home and raise children. Yeah. That is the baby boom. That is like, go home, do your job, and your job is to make sure that we now have more men. I guess in For case the next this one. ever happens again. Vietnam is but 20 Vietnam years away. Vietnam is but 20 years away, and between then we've got Korea. Like, it's yeah. all happening. Oh, yeah. People always think of Korea. Except people who watched Mad Men two weeks ago, which I did, oh. and are like, ah, oh, Korea. Um, but there being this um, enormous boom in... Um, yeah, in, in homeware and like it's you know it's the separate wife thing. It's yeah. The um, uh, the more you create uh, objects that make your life easier, the higher the standard goes. So you invent the vacuum cleaner, and suddenly the standard yes. is that you must have spotless floors, and that just goes all the way up to yeah. everything. And then it's like the easier that you make baking, the more complicated it has to be. Of course. So it's like you suddenly in all these cookbooks in the nineteen fifties, the most complex. Fucking weird. Yeah. Like baked Alaska. It was a thing that started in the 1860s. Yeah. It was like a weird hotel. In you Norway. would not make that at home ever. No. Ever. It was for a restaurant. Yes, exactly. It's to go out and have a. What is a baked Alaska? It is fantastic. <laughs> By the way, I should say before we you tell me like, yeah. what a baked Alaska is, yes. which I want to know. Mm-hmm. You're a cookbook writer. I am. I am. <laughs> so I we're going to get to that. Yes. So uh, yes, yeah. I, I, I. There is a a real narrative here about my journey with baking that yes. we will probably come to in dribs and drabs, but. I, in 20, you know, early 2010s was working in theatre. That is the office that I was taking my baked goods into. Mm -hmm. Uh, I then started a blog in 2014 and my blog was, uh, I was going to bake a new thing every week. And it was going to be a thing from literature. So that's that's now Uh one of the things I've been writing about for years is food in literature. So I was going to bake a new thing from literature. And do you know why I was doing this, Caroline? Mm -hmm. It was to get on Bake Off. Oh, wow. You wanted them to call you. I really did. I filled in the 46-page application. 46 pages? With, well, it was once I added all my photographs and my words. And now, I'm in hindsight, I'm like, nobody read that. It showed up being 46. I, that is straight to the recycle bin. Crazy lady from East London. We do not need another. Oh, but you would have been so good. I, you know that, though. I would have been fantastic. Um, <laughs> but I think that it really... I was I, That was what I wanted to do. I wanted to go on Bake Off. Mm-hmm. And so I was learning a new thing, a new technique, a new cake that I'd never made before, the list of things that you have to talk about your experience of in the Bake Off application is really extensive. So you're not just saying, here are the cakes I make. You're saying, have I made any French patisserie? Have I made any of these things? Have I made my own ice cream? Have I made my own? Mm. And so it's it's a big mm. collection of like, what have you made? And it was also asking for photos and things. Mm. So my blog was kind of, for a year, a little bit of a I mean, this is a fun project and a good thing, but I hope I get on Bake Off next year. <laughs> right. And nobody ever called. So I'm interested in what in that era because I know that Little Library cookbook. Mm. It became the Little Library blog, right? Yeah. So the Little Library uh, Cafe was the blog, which R.I.P. last week. It is now no longer online. Wow. I know. I know. It's uh, eight years of it being there. Nine years of it being wow. there, and now it it has. R.I.P. R.I.P. Pour one out for a real one. Pour one out for a real one. It was there. It served us well, um, but it is it is it is dead. Uh, and I 
I did that for a couple of years and then wrote my first cookbook that came out in 2017, which Mm -hmm. is Little Library Cookbook. I have since written three others, so Little Library Year, Christmas and Parties last Mm -hmm. year, Uh, and all of them take things in literature, food that characters eat in literature and recreate it. Just a great gimmick, gimmick, great concept, everyone loves it. It's been really fun. Um, I I have finished with with that project now, which is a real joy to now just read for pure fun again Mm -hmm. and not because I'm half looking for a new idea of a thing I can make in every single book I read so it's been a real joy to like rediscover reading and not get my highlighter pen out every time somebody eats something. Baked Alaskas. There is a Baked Alaska in my last book because it is actually a really fun thing to make with when you have a modern kitchen, mm-hmm. i.e. when you have a freezer. So this is why you could suddenly make a baked Alaska at home in the 50s mm-hmm. is because you could keep things cold enough. So, um, it's so like... it is a cake on yeah. which sits ice cream. Yeah. It is then covered in meringue. Right. And technically for a baked Alaska, you then put the whole thing in the oven. It defies physics. It defies physics. Uh, the the way that I make it, because it's always felt easier and, and uh, it terrifies me to put ice cream in the freezer in the oven, uh, even though it does work, it always makes me think if I'm going to give people a recipe to do this, I just think at least one person is going to go, my ice cream melted completely mm-hmm. and my oven is full of ice cream. What and do it, I do It's now? quite stylized. It's really stylized. Well. So you, yeah. you, you really put a lot of time into design, you know, decorating the mm. meringue and making it look beautiful. And then the, the modern way to do it is to make it with a meringue that you've already cooked. So you use a sugar syrup that you mm-hmm. pour over the egg whites rather than you have to bake it. And you then blowtorch it. And that gets the same visual effect. It looks stunning, mm. but it, it does means that cool. you haven't had to put it in the oven. So you don't have that risk of fear. And so we go to like post-war America yes. and it's like women who for six years mm-hmm. were like putting planes together mm-hmm. and now they're like doing the baked Alaska. It's yes. a huge deal. And mm-hmm. it's like, you can even see it in like sitcoms from the time. It's all, it's this like familiar trope of like the bosses, the bosses coming yeah. and the baked like, mm-hmm. like It's all these like familiar tropes. I that, mean, Caroline, this you know. is our, our scene from Mona Lisa Smile, which is what we last spoke oh about Oh my here. God! dawn of like because before the war it was the great depression right where it's like there's a you know just lack of yes general foodstuffs going around or whatever and And yeah it's it's just harder generally and Mm -hmm. so we have these women for whom they are the first generation like there's not really a tradition in their family no of like doing huge home entertaining mm-hmm. missions mm-hmm. with no staff like any like yes doing the kind of home entertaining in the past would have been a family who has staff in yes. like Edwardian England yes totally. <laughs> you know? there's a there's a, a sort of generally understood thing that in the early 20th century about six hours a day needed to be spent yeah. on feeding people in the house uh-huh. And so sometimes, and that was done by a collection of staff and a collection of other people. And yeah. depending on how fancy you were, that would be multiple staff or uh-huh. one staff member or whatever it is. Yeah. But we are now at a point where most households spend just under an hour a day on food shopping, prep, and wow. then clean up. Yeah. So we've gone from it taking about six hours a day in a pretty average family uh-huh. to taking an hour a day. And that is a combination of the way that we shop, the way that we can collect ingredients and mm. also the convenience of appliances that we have in our houses that make cooking easier. Yeah. But in the 50s, it was somewhere in the middle. Mm-hmm. So it has been like pretty gradually reducing mm-hmm. through that time. So that's a lot of hours. 
That's yeah. a lot of time that these people had to spend, and but they didn't have staff. So suddenly this isn't something that you share with people or that you give to somebody else. Yeah. This is something that people are doing on their own. When Julia Child's first uh, Mastering the Art of French Cooking came out, the, the sort of idea for the book is that it's French cooking for the servantless American cook. That is like the way that you the tagline yeah, of somebody who, and Julia Child was writing very specifically for people who wanted to make really good food and who had time and money to do it. Uh-huh. There's no shortcuts. There's no nothing. It's all like you are going to spend time making this and it's going to be fantastic. Which is why Julia and Julia is still so brilliant. Exactly. You have a woman in 2009. Right. Who's never cooked like that. Boiling and who, a cow's foot. Exactly. <laughs> who is making something, making like a whole chapter of aspics. And as somebody, I've cooked an aspic, it's not good. <laughs> Not good. And not worth it. Not worth it. I, look, it's it, they're fine. They, they they can be good things, but mm-hmm. um, and no judgment on any food again. But it's pretty bad. It's pretty, it's <laughs> and pretty it's really bad. time consuming in it. You know. But in this time period, it's um, I'm interested in the instant cake mix because that is my yes. primary experience yes. with baking. Well, that is also my favorite Sex and the City baking moment. It's not Magnolia Bakery. <gasps> oh yes. It's Miranda baking. Miranda going, I can't buy a cake every day. It's like, this is yeah. so ridiculous. I can't, I can't go and buy a slice, cake. Of, yeah, a slice of cake and then get the big $90 cake. I'm going to make a cake mix at home. And when that she eats being, it out of the bin. When she eats it out of the bin, but that being her baking experience. Yeah. And she is obviously a generation different to us. She is not mm. our generation of people. She is the generation above us. Yeah. And She's Gen X. Yeah, exactly. And I, my, my sort of, experience with baking as a kid is that my mum who is end of baby boomer into gen x was not a baker mm-hmm. my mum had my mum worked for my whole childhood mm-hmm. um my mum cooked and loved to cook and our household spent a lot of our like social time and spare time cooking but my mum had like three desserts in her rotation mm-hmm. and one of them was to go to the cheesecake shop down the road get a pavlova and cover it in whipped cream and fruit Mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. not to bake the pavlova herself yeah. and so my sister and I when we were children and then into our teenagers became obsessed by baking wow and so I think there is that real contrast of baby boomer gen x who are again not people whose parents mm. who, whose mothers in the 50s yeah were cooking at home and doing a lot of the homework yeah. they then it skips a generation went back, right they went yeah. into the workforce again mm-hmm. and our parent you know uh, my parents worked my my both my my mum and my stepmom worked mm-hmm. and my dad and my stepdad all worked but they all liked food so they, there was cooking that happened at home but it was it was yeah a real um Baking was an extra thing. It was yeah. not a thing that they had time Whereas for. Whereas my mom was a huge baker. Yeah. Not huge, but like she made cakes a lot. Right. You know? And and I think that is a, are you staying at home? Are you a, a, a person mm-hmm. who works from home or a, or a mom who works at home? Or are you a person who goes yeah. to the office and therefore it is an extra thing that you don't have time for? Yeah. But I think in our generation then, a lot of us had parents who worked in offices or wherever mm-hmm. and who didn't do a lot of baking at home. And it, had that resurgence again, that sort of generational shift yes. and, and movement back into... So when we're talking about, like, Zoe Deschanel mm-hmm. making cupcakes, that is a... You think that's what it is? Yeah, that's and I think, crucially, reacting. Zoe Deschanel's mother 
played by Jamie Lee Curtis mm-hmm. in New Girl, mm-hmm. I don't think feels like a baking woman. Oh, I've never seen that. Episode. Yeah, she she is in a bunch of different episodes, and my my impression of her is not a baking mum. <laughs> yeah, like and and had a baking women kid. Women, for the most case, worked in the yeah, right. Exactly. My mum didn't work. She had a very for our bringing like a very January yeah, Jones yeah. sort of <laughs> setup. Um, uh, but let's go back to that period in yeah, 2010. Let's. Uh, so you were baking every week for your colleagues. I was. I was doing a lot of baking. I was doing a lot of. Um, I think I just moved here, mm-hmm. so I was also doing a lot of baking for friends. I would take cakes to people on the weekends, and I do really enjoy it. But I think a big part of it for me was, uh, and this is, I think, what I've kind of stripped away and then come back to. So mm-hmm. we're going to return to me loving baking now, but okay. we're going to take a break. It's a from hero's it. journey. Um, in twenty, in sort of. 2009 to 2012, I was wearing a lot of A-line dresses. Mm-hmm. I watched a lot of Trini and Susanna when I was a kid. And as a fat lady, I very much heard over and over, wide belts and A-line skirts are my only options. <laughs> A-line skirts don't look good on anybody. They're awful. <laughs> Particularly the ones they put everywhere. The, the worst yeah. crime of Trini and Susanna is the slouchy boots. It's like, mm. what you need is a slouchy boot and a large handbag to hold in front of you as if you're pregnant on a sitcom. (laughs) Uh, But anyway, so I was wearing a lot of A-line skirts. I was wearing... I was very deep twee as Mm. a look. So, like, dresses with prints? Dresses with prints, lots of birds, lots of polka dots, lots of, like, vintage-y kind of Mm -hmm. look. Um, I definitely had bunting in my flat. It wasn't always up, but it often was. Okay, that is important. Really crucial as an aesthetic. Crucial. Um, But I think also what is very true about that time is that I was performing a version of being a woman and Mm -hmm. being feminine that was directly targeted at one day I will be married Mm -hmm. and I will have a family and I will be married specifically to a man. And this is probably what a man wants from a woman who looks like me. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I never fitted into a kind of dainty sort of version of girl Mm -hmm. or woman. Mm -hmm. And I, I had boobs at like 10 so I, I was that's rough right hard. yeah I was yeah. wearing a bra before secondary school like mm-hmm. way before secondary school um and so I was always aware of needing to be as feminine as possible mm. because in many other ways because I had to embrace the sort of like very mumsy body that I had and look that I had because I was never going to be cool Paris Hilton sort of very thin very cool yeah. very club like yeah and right. so my nickname at university was mum like I was very Oh, that's not nice. <laughs> Nobody wants that. Nobody wants Nobody that. Wants that. So and it's it's very sweet and lovely and like it came from a place of yeah, love with all my I'm friends. Sure it did, but but you're twenty. I, yeah, I was twenty years I was younger than most people in my course because I did a drama degree, so most people came later. Right, right. Um anyway, so but I also wore a lot of high heels to university. That mm. was like my thing. It was my thing so much that I kind of messed up my feet. Why was that your thing? Because I wanted to look like a woman. Right, like, right. really feminine. Like, I, I have to embrace this body I have, and I, mm. if I, I can't look frumpy. Mm. And I think in doing all of this, I very much looked frumpy, because that is what the dresses in 2008 were yes, giving as, us. As, as, as much documented yes, on this podcast. Documented on this podcast <laughs> the horror of fashion. I don't so, know why this is, like, my singular thing, where like, your, I have yeah. to... <laughs> 
bringing it we up. We keep bringing it back to the jewel tones. <laughs> cap sleeve jewel tones. Cap sleeve jewel tones. But that was very much, at that time, that was a real, I was really aware. I didn't wear jeans until like two years ago. So for my entire 20s, I only wore skirts and dresses. Mm-hmm. I was very, very femme. Mm-hmm. And in a way that I was... I do think I was slightly conscious of it in the later years, but I think early on was unaware of what I was doing, mm. but was very much like this will, I am, I am the type yeah. physically and emotionally who will make a good wife and mother. Mm. So I need to present that. Yeah. And I don't have any other bits to offer. I kind of missed the cool fun years in that I never looked right for those years. Yeah. Um, and so I, I very much just adopted this is the version of me that I'm going to be. Was part of you on a subconscious level putting a wall hanging over the closet? Well, so this is the obviously interesting thing that comes out, Yeah, literally, uh, <laughs> a, few, a few years later, is that I am gay. Uh, and I, I have dug so deep into this and for so many years now that I don't have an answer. Uh, I don't think I was closeted. Mm. I truly was unaware of my sexuality. Mm. I very honestly only was ever interested in pleasing other people. Mm. And so this is deep for a podcast about baking, but so not enjoying sex and not having a great time with men was Mm. always like, well, thanks Catholic school. You've told me it's not really relevant and the sex is for kids and one day I might enjoy it and it will be totally fine. It wasn't until I started sleeping with women that I was like, huh, interesting. Interesting to sleep with people I'm attracted to. Which is why in general, I think you do find that women come out later than men do. Yeah, of course. Because we we have that, that, we're you know, culturally cultural conversation of sex sometimes isn't great yeah, girls it's not, and it's gonna it's be not fine for everyone. it's not for everyone it might hurt quite a lot and then it won't be fun for a long <laughs> yeah. time sex is for all men and some women. and some women <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly that uh so yeah i i think that i spent a lot of that period um like waiting for that bit of my life to start waiting for the time that I would meet somebody who I would have kids with and have a house with and do all of that with. And I remained, I dated people, but I was mostly single through Mm. my twenties. And I think that at that time I was very aware of wanting to find somebody who I could make a house with. Mm. And that in the absence of that person and through most of my single twenties, I was making it anyway. I was creating this version of a house that I thought would work really well when I was a mum and when I had a husband and that I, that's what I knew life was going to look like for me. Mm. And it is now difficult to look back and unpick the baking of it all and the A-line dresses of it all Mm. and the creation of home and being called mum and all of those things, that sort of very mumsy aesthetic time that I had Mm. and wonder how much of it, is me and how much of it was the performance that I thought I needed to give. And so when I came out, uh, which is uh, five years ago this month. Oh, congratulations. Thanks very much. Thanks very much to my first, to my first friend who I came out to was five years ago this month. Mm. Um, When I first came out, I started stripping all of those things away. Mm. So I 
changed how I looked in terms of my aesthetic. I let my hair go gray. I bought jeans. I bought a leather jacket. Mm. I like really shifted away from the dresses and the skirts and the baking of it all. And I went from somebody who every single meeting I had in publishing, I would take cupcakes along or I would take brownies Mm. or I would take biscuits that I'd made along Mm. to being like, no, that's okay. Do I enjoy that? Do I actually want to do that today? Do I want to bake for people? And, and sort of stripping all of those things away and now, five years on, have re- started reintroducing them and really having interrogated whether it's a thing I enjoy doing or not, I mean, reintroducing the things that I enjoy. And so occasionally that's like, I bought a fun new dress and I feel mm-hmm. great in it. Or it's, I'm going to bake for people because I actually really do love it. And I love making something that is pure love, not to feed people in a... A sustaining way yeah. but in an emotional way which is what baking feels like and I love to bake I love to make oh. cakes I love to make icing I love the practice of it but as somebody who is a cookery writer as well as a caterer I have always in the kitchen leaned towards the sort of more stereotypically like away from baking into like cooking with meat cooking Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Yes. Vegetables, doing salads, doing sauces, doing all of the stuff that is like that side of technical rather than the patisserie stuff. Mm -hmm. And part of that is because my catering partner went to Cordon Bleu for a year and trained in patisserie and is actually fantastic at baking. But part of it as well is me going like, no, I'm a tough cook. Like, mm-hmm. I'm a tough cook who can pull the head off a pig. I am yeah. I am yeah. not the woman who bakes cakes. Um, and, and part of that was There's a real a identity I wanted to settle into. There's a wonderful tradition of that as well on, on TV of just like, Lesbian chefs who know oh, what the fuck yeah. they do. Like, yeah. like, there's no more lesbians on TV than on Top Chef. You it's know? true, exactly <laughs> that. You're the most lesbian show that exists. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. the most lesbian show. Yeah, more than the L word. Like, just <laughs> all lesbians all the time. Yeah, exactly. It, it feels really like a thing that I was trying out, and now I'm I'm much more comfortable in binary rather than in sorry in like a central place rather than going. Yeah. I have to be. That's so One fascinating how it's like how the kind of cooking and food making you were doing was like an expression of like where you were at with like your gender and your sexuality. Totally. And I think as well, I, I started the blog way before I came out 
and I started writing the cookbooks way before I came out. And I think if you look at all the cookbooks, it is notable to me that the last one feels like the most me. It feels like the most combination of all of those elements that have come together. And of course it does. It's the most recent. I'm more myself now than I ever have been. It's all of those things. But I look back at the first one and I love it. But it also feels like a real capturing of that moment in time. Yeah. In a way that my identity and my self-understanding and self-knowledge has really shifted Mm. between like the first book and the second book. And then definitely the third and the fourth were post me coming out, like written post me coming out. so it feels like a real yeah a real thing that I've had to consider and interrogate and and look at congratulations on a wonderful journey (laughs) it must be real I mean I obviously as somebody who's written books as well I'm able to do that thing while I can stomach it Mm. of like looking back on you know a book I wrote when I was 26 or 27 yes and being like oh she's much angrier than me (laughs) yeah and those kind of yeah it must be interesting where it's like you're whole life is food like yes caterer you've yep. done every every job in the business you've done yes. and to watch your own growth as a person through that must be a, a lovely sort of kaleidoscope yeah you know? it is um but you wanted to talk a bit about um sort of baking and culture generally. i did i yes. did so, so i have not, that's not miss that no absolutely and i think there are there are lots of lovely baking things that happen in in films and books and all those sort of things. I've been writing about it for years and years. Um, But what I want to talk about is kind of baking in films and presentation of like women specifically in kitchens and baking. Mm -hmm. And I think there's, there are infinite things we could talk about. And I kind of got stuck in like, I want to talk about them making pies in fried green tomatoes. I want to talk about Julianne Moore baking cake with her son in the hours, like her in the 50s. I want to the talk film about waitress. the film waitress <laughs> and the pies. I've got li- literally just waitress as one word <laughs> oh here my in my God, notes. Like I want to talk about all of those things. But what I kind of want to talk about is like the last 10 years of cinema to take sure. into account this twee and like that this yeah. aesthetic and this time. And I think one of the the real baking moments that has struck me in film is in Bridesmaids, mm. where our central character, Kristen Wiig's character, is yeah. a baker. A failed baker. A failed baker. A woman who had a cupcake bakery. Cake a baby. S- cake baby. <laughs> An incredibly twee yeah. cupcake bakery who apologises to a man by baking him a cake the shape of a carrot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and who has failed in femininity and failed as a woman, failed as a crucially, yeah. as a bridesmaid and in her twee baking shop. Mm-hmm. And I think is really struggling with who she is as a woman and the way that that is told through those two failures. Yeah. And what her role is if she can't be one of these two. Like oh. if she's if she is failing in the friendship and failing in like, being a bridesmaid and not having a partner and not being in the same place in life as all the rest Mm -hmm. of her friends and she's also failing in this like real performance of a feminine ideal that she is doing in her bakery what version of woman is she who does she get to be and I think it's it's such a good film it's such that it asks those questions and it's there there were so many conversations that happened around bridesmaids and they were all the most boring conversations (laughs) it was all like can women joke can women joke are they funny guys are women funny I'm not sure that was such a horrible time to be alive wasn't it Um, and like the yeah and um, yeah I remember actually when me and Dolly did the end just like that coverage yeah of uh, making the choice because we were both lazy and bored of like <laughs> of uh, doing it uh, two or three months after it had aired because we felt like 
the bulk of the conversations that we're having in the instant after it came out were actually quite boring and repetitive. Yes, and agreed. So the kind of, even though it's a demented piece of art, it's still... It's so insane. It's demented <laughs> and I will watch every episode. Me too, obviously, absolutely. I'm in like four WhatsApp groups specifically about that reboot. <laughs> that doesn't exist in anything else in my life. So good. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, uh, about like, yeah, when you kind of... Nobody, people, people engage with it as a sort of um, a comedy that had gross out humor and also women in it. Yes, um, and like Maya Rudolph shitting in the street. Yeah, totally. it's amazing, brilliant. amazing. Like yeah. yeah, and it was like this sort of huge star moment from Melissa McCarthy. All great things. Yeah. but in terms of like, this is like quite a a mood film. It's a real mood film. Yeah, it's a real question where we are as women. Yeah, film. Yeah, and now that we can do everything and have it all, what are we choosing to do? Mm. What are we choosing to engage with? What are we choosing to spend time on? What are, And if you pick the wrong thing, what does that then look like? Yeah. If you commit your time, your infinite time that we're told we have, that any 90s child who mm -hmm. grew up with the Spice Girls is like, you can be anything. So this is one of these five. But you can be anything. You know, we are now really genuinely probably as you know privileged white ladies yeah pretty much able to do anything we want to do yeah but when that doesn't work and when we've picked a thing and committed to a thing and gone in a direction what version of woman do we become when we have to work out what to do next yeah like what does failure look like and also when yeah when you haven't you know fallen into the sort of the mold of exactly of monogamy and yep. and all that which he hasn't yeah and all your it? friends have yeah Right, and, that interesting and you're thing kind of, of like... waiting for the thing that's going to look like that in your life, and assuming that your pals are still going to be around, but it just doesn't quite happen yeah. that way. And also, it's like the fact that you're coming off that character, you're, you're meeting that character when she's come off like, and she's a year out from a breakup yes. slash business failure. Yes, of like there was a kind of a fantasy of like, oh yeah, you can just be a little lady entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's kind of pre-girl boss. It's more yes. like, just a lady with a dream. Yep, uh, exactly that. It's like that Uber, Sam, our friend Sam said it on the weekend, that it's that sort of hyper-capitalist moment of, yeah. well, to be a woman who bakes, you now need a bakery. Like, yes. you need it to be monetized. Yeah. You can't be a woman who bakes at home. We've done that. That's yeah. done. Yeah. You now have to do something with it. Are you writing a book? What are you doing? Are you, yeah. have a book? Do you have a yeah. shop? Do you have a thing? Do you have a, a version of it that exists out there? Yeah. And it's, yeah, the grind set ruined her. Yeah. <laughs> ruined her love of exactly. baking. Yeah, it's like that thing of, yeah, right, when you are a woman who has to do everything. What yeah. does having all look like it, for a lot of people? It looks like failing at it all the things. It looks like failing in all the she things. She fails in her relationship. Yep. She's failing in her friendships. She's yep. failing at the thing that used to bring her joy. Yeah. She goes home and makes one perfect cupcake. And yeah. it's like, I can imagine that before she opened the bakery, that was a thing that would fill her with joy. Yeah. That she did because it was fun and beautiful and great. And you can never charge enough yeah. for that cupcake that she made. Because every single piece of it is beautifully cut. I mean, also, it's um, like paste it's sugar paste icing which i hate but it is a beautiful moment of yeah. her like painting each individual petal and yeah. leaf and all of this and you're like how can you ever monetize that yeah how can you charge it's so for that work and love and commitment yeah. and all of that it's impossible to put a price on that the people want to pay yeah and that's really hard yeah and i remember researching this for an article i was doing once about flowers 
it was a weird time. But um, <laughs> it was it was like a real freelance journalist time mm-hmm. in my life. Mm-hmm. As I've said in this podcast before, I was never a journalist, but people hired me to do it anyway. <laughs> um, but uh, it's like, why do we give flowers? It's because you don't need them and they die. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like that's the same thing with cake. It's, it's like, exactly that. You know, butter, why are you cream, spending your four pounds on this? Yeah, it's because you can eat it and then it'll be done, and you're not keeping it. You're... And, and the fact that it's ephemeral yeah. is a way of showing people who aren't ephemeral yeah. that they mean everything to they you, do. and you don't. And that is like, yeah, it's so much about you know, baking is about having a community around you. Who yes. are you baking for? People rarely bake for just themselves. Yeah, you cook for yourself. You cook you for, yourself. Bake for yourself. It's rare to bake for yourself, right? And there are there's a couple of really beautiful things. Nigella's most recent cookbook has cookies in it that mm-hmm. is like, this is just for you. But that was yeah. a very much born out of the pandemic moment. Really? Of, I think, people at home going, and, mm-hmm. and it's not, it's also practical. Loads of people live alone. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, all of that. But I think we talked more during the pandemic about like, you can bake for yourself. You yeah. can do this thing. Yeah. Lots of people are on their own right now. You can't take this thing that you're baking to your neighbour because they'll need to spray it with a yes, hand sanitizer for one beforehand. brownie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. There's a. It became a real sort of way of cooking and baking. There's loads of recipes on the internet for stuff like that now. It's like well, what to do when you have yeah one yeah. egg. Well, that brings me to mug cakes. <laughs> yes, indeed. What's your opinion on those? Well, I mean. Have you had a mug, mug cake? No. They're great. <laughs> They're shit and Until great. very, very recently, I did not have a microwave, so I'm yes. actually prepared to try. So one. I don't have a microwave. Um, okay. Because it's a space in my kitchen that's more usefully taken up with other junk that I have. Mm-hmm. Um, but microwaves are great. I grew up with microwaves. They are fantastic for defrosting meat. They're fantastic for sure. cooking. They're fantastic for doing lots of things. They are also fantastic for making little cakes. Making little <laughs> cakes. Making little cakes. And I think they're really fun. They're really fun and silly. Because that was pre-pandemic. Yes. I remember that being a real Pinterest moment. Yes. Really. Yes. I think that was about. I think that was a real, like, you can't afford to go out on a Friday. Here's a fun thing you can do (laughs) at home on your own. Here's a project. Here's a project. (laughs) Here's a project that doesn't, probably doesn't involve you even leaving your house. Yeah. Because the ingredients aren't, you know, extravagant. Mm -hmm. It's mostly stuff you might have around. Mm-hmm. It's stuff you can definitely, if you don't have around, buy in a corner shop rather than a supermarket. Yeah. And and it makes you feel really fun and good. It's like a little cake. Maybe I will try it. I think you it's know. fun. Yeah. There are, I'll send you a recipe for a good one. They're, they're a real mixed bag. Yeah. yeah. I wonder if there's anyone who's a baker and a gamer because it's <laughs> just thinking, like, what would I, what do I do in the evenings? Like, I'd mostly yeah. play Zelda. Yep. So, right, it's exactly that. If I wasn't that. doing that, I would. But I think it's very. Like, it's a nice thing to have with a box set. It's to be it like, is. you're halfway through watching a TV show and you're like, oh, I wish I had something in. And mm. a mug cake is a perfect, like, you don't have to wait for it to bake. It's going to be done in, like, a minute. It's a combination of ingredients that are easy and cheap. Yeah. I, I totally get it. It makes a lot of sense to me why somebody would want Yeah, it's testament to a goblin mode. Yeah, really. exactly. Mode, Gremlin I can't, mode? Remember. I can't yeah. remember what we're saying now, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but my other, I, I have a couple more, like pop culture ones yes please one is It's Complicated do you have I feelings about, about this film I saw that movie once when I came in cinema I haven't seen it since yes. so you have to remind me I know the plot obviously yes it is She she's a baker uh-huh. she went to Paris right. she trained okay she is very serious mm-hmm. and her enormous bakery like the biggest bakery in the world I've never seen a bakery bigger than this bakery in this film um, no, no cafe or bakery has ever been this big it is it is the height of just she is capable 
and breezy mm-hmm. and professional. And she kind of, it's, it's Meryl Streep in the film, oh, obviously. Sure. Yeah. And she very much has an aesthetic in the film of she breezes in and out of that mm. cafe. I'm not sure how many hours she works there a week, but there is no way she's doing more than like eight she is definitely she also beyond wealthy. <laughs> this is exactly it. It feels like a project she could afford to have and pay yeah. a lot of people to do most of the cooking. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's also, she knows how it all works. She has really like girl boss that bakery. She mm-hmm. has done a really good thing. And the food looks beautiful. Mm-hmm. The pastry is perfect. She takes Steve Martin there for a late night date because oh, she knows the croissant are going to be there. there. Yeah. And they, they bake croissant in the middle of the night. It's all very like very capable and I think that capability and that sort of uh, again performance of like yes capable woman doing a great woman's job but also making money from it mm-hmm. is then juxtaposed against her life falling apart because she sleeps with her ex-husband right. and I think that the, 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 the sort of baking of it all is coding for yeah. her having this sort of very successful female life yes. very successful yes. woman doing a very successful woman's thing Yes. And in a similar way to, or in a, a way that sort of is then played on in, do you watch You? No, never seen it. It is bonkers. I have not watched I w- the latest I would like season. To, I'm waiting for a long flight. I yeah, think. it is crazy and mad. And I'm not going to spoil anything, but uh, in season three, our central character is in a relationship with a woman called Love Quinn, mm. who was in series two as well. And she was a cook in series two yeah. in Los Angeles. And then they move to sort of the suburbs right. into this very uh, L.A., like, like California mm-hmm. suburban existence where everybody is on juice cleansers and everybody's doing, you know, sure. you know, all of that kind of life. And she opens bakery and she opens a bakery that kind of offends everybody in town. But they are also quietly thrilled and really excited about it all. Um, she's also bananas. Right. Like the character is a sociopath so this kind of perfect performance of femininity that she is trying to keep up as wife as mother as person who runs this perfect little bakery that is doing all the right things and is gluten-free and is vegan and do you know has all of the right shapes in this community she is as well they are both psychopaths in series three yeah um i have spoiled a little bit but you know she is she is also a psychopath in series three uh and and her bakery is this, like, her outward performance of this is the woman I am. I am this perfect woman. Yeah. I am serving all of these roles ideally. And in the basement, it's it's chaos. And chaos and horror and mess. And well, it's, it's Sweeney Todd, right? It's, yeah, like, basically. It's, you know, it's, it's exactly that. But there's, like, it's so interesting because um, it is such a default job for any yes. woman in, like, a Christmas yes. made-for-Netflix yes. but going on a made-for-TV novel. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. It's very interesting how, like, it's always interesting what jobs we choose to highlight in kind of romantic yeah. films because it, it shows how, what we dream of. Do you it, know what I mean? It like, totally does. These are fantasies, yeah. you know? And it's like, we dream That is of, what romance is. It is, yeah, yeah exactly. But the, the, it's not just the romance that is the fantasy. It yeah. is every single thing in the romance, yes. which is like a boyfriend who's an architect. <laughs> I've met one architect ever. You yes, know, right. There's tons of There's them. There's so many of them. Or like a guy who works on a Christmas tree farm. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And so when those were, and so so very frequently, the women in those um, in that media, it's either they work at fancy magazines. Yes. 
and they um or in like PR and they're too they're too business yes and they must change yes or they, they are cozy and they're cozy mm-hmm. and they're too selfless and they must yes. change yes. generally it's the baker lady who's like Mia you always only think <laughs> of other people yeah I'm saying whisking I'm saving up for your spine <laughs> surgery kind of thing yes exactly um, and so it's all yeah it's always that sort of women in those things need to go on some kind of journey whether it's either to yeah. make themselves harder or softer yes and the, and the soft women always bake <laughs> always bake it is the soft profession it is approachable accessible and I think that's why I spent so many of my early 20s doing it yeah like I think that presentation of it is deep in the culture it is so obvious that that is a way to be easy and yeah. soft and approachable and safe and good and it's also fucking difficult oh it's really hard it's so it's, I don't do it it's, it's too hard it's science it's it is, science it is chemistry in a way that cooking is a little bit but cooking you can play around with and get away with. No, and baking, baking fails you in a way cooking can't. Of course. You know. Because there are ways that things interact and there are way there are things you have to understand about baking and about you know, when you get deep into it, when you get beyond like I've I've got ten recipes that I know and, and I'm pretty good at and understand the sort of real specifics of what different sugars do Mm. you know there's like six types of sugar you can buy in the supermarket they all act differently when they react with a liquid or an acid or a butter or whatever else it is in your recipe Mm. and they are going to create a different effect to understand that and to be able to play with it and manipulate it and get your recipe to do what you want it to do is a science mm. that is a real tricky technical and it, it thing. changes on a local level as of well course. something that um our mutual friend ella said to us uh said to me anyway was that she was fascinated when like some of her recipes wouldn't work with american readers yeah. because be, literally because of the moisture in the air in america yes. is different and you need more of one thing or another yeah i find that fascinating yeah absolutely that they, they work at different they work at temperature uh, sorry recipes work differently at different altitudes as well so wow. like depending on pressure and depending on it's it's it is so bizarre bread baking is where you see this like most specifically yeah. and how hydrated your bread needs to be is a really big thing but i come from a country where it's super humid mm. and when i went to photograph some of my cookbook back there i ditched one of the recipes because i was like australians buy my book and this just works differently than it does in the wow. uk like that's it so just cool. doesn't set in the same way it doesn't do the same thing i can't like give people yeah. enough detailed instructions to allow them to adapt the recipe yeah. because it's going to depend on how humid your day is and right? that's mad it's just interesting sort of ship of theseus thing where it's like as, you know if you're trying to make a very specific kind of bread that they only have in a specific part of asia yep. it's like how in what sense is that bread the bread that they would make yeah, in that country totally. because the flour is different mm-hmm. the water is different yep. the air is different the altitude is different yeah. that's mental that is mad right <laughs> It is absolutely mad. And it's why when you travel around like Mexico and you eat tortilla in Mexico, mm. not only are the like flour versus corn different, but the texture of them is different. And then that's different from a tortilla you get in New Mexico yeah. and in the southern states of the States and different from a tortilla you get here and different, you know, it's all just so dependent on your environment and your ingredients and the way that those ingredients grow and the fact that they are different. It's great. It's amazing. Well, there was something that um, 
I never finished actually on the boxed cake thing, mm. which oh. is that, um, which is about forty minutes. Away, <laughs> but uh, you know, uh, something I read about it, which was that um, you know, boxed cake started off in the twenties as just like an instant yes solution, lovely, and then it, by the fifties, the sale of Betty Crocker instant cakes was on a way way down slope, mm. and when they put some research into it, it was because the women felt like, or the the people who were making the cakes felt like it was too easy, and they were guilty. And so this entire subcategory came up of like, no, icing the cake is the bit. That's the bit. And then it's it's so it's like it's so interesting in like how women will just knit our own nooses. <laughs> The adding and icing and having to make that complex and having to do your own thing and individualize it is so how I feel about season 12 and 13 of Bake Off. Mm -hmm. In season one, there were real tasks where people had to make scones. Okay. And, and you were doing your scone and you wanted to show off your best scone. And it's been years since we've seen anyone on Bake Off make a scone that's not part yeah. of a high tea mm -hmm. that's seven different components that has to have your own jam and your own cream and also actually your own sandwiches that you've made the bread for and that you've done this and then mm -hmm. because we can't just watch somebody do an impressive scone anymore yeah. we've like taken it so far that to be good at this to be the best at this mm. you now have to create a full-scale model of the first house you lived in with gingerbread and like well, <laughs> sugar, that's sugar that's syrup. The like, exact same thing with Bake Off. Yeah. Not Bake Off with them, with Drag Race. Yes. Where like yes. the, the, the women that come in on that show, the drag queens come in, they used to come in wearing jeans. Yes. Like, <laughs> yes. You know, and now it's like, it's incredible because like, you know, they're, they're taking out huge loans in order to go on this show it to is design mad. outfits. And, you know, it's, it's insane. And it is like drag race it, it we've all read that vice article about how expensive it is to mm -hmm. go on drag race and the expense of putting together all of that anticipating that you will still be there by the final week yeah and it's the same thing on bake off like you go into bake off as i assume you have all of those weeks mm -hmm. in advance and you know what all of those recipes are you must be working for weeks and weeks and weeks yes. making the same thing over and over giving it i assume to your neighbors to your family like they must be so sick of these I intricately know. designed yeah. like here make freddie mercury's face out of cake and icing and who are you doing that for over and over they so, must get the challenges in advance yeah to totally so, some of the challenges yeah in so you have or bake off has three challenges you've got like your signature challenge which used to be make me an upside down cake and yeah. is now obviously much more complex than that yeah. um you have the technical challenge which you can't see in advance and can't plan for yeah. and then you have your showstopper which yes is like here is this extravagant mm -hmm. enormous thing that has to stand up on its own and be made by with all of these things and it's expensive to yeah. make those sort of things yeah and for no cash prize for no cash prize yeah like we're on channel four now we're not on the bbc anymore you can give it a cash prize mm -hmm. but there is no cash prize it is the cash prize is a cake stand that none of those cakes would fit on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing is, is that like, it's an investment. Like, and that's, this is the thing where yes. it, there's a darkness to like reality shows of wherein course. people are able to become enormous celebrities, household names, like 
So I forget Nadia was on Bake Off. Right, exactly. She has transcended the whole, I forget Ruby Tando is, because her food writing is like a whole different thing now that exists completely outside of that. But those stories are fairly few. It feels like there's a lot of them because they're so part of the furniture now, but they're fairly few. And there've been a lot of those seasons. Like there's a lot, there's 13 of them on each season. So that's a lot of people who've been through that. Yeah, and like, uh, God, this is this is a bad story, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Uh, when I was working in the media, yes, often you would get PR people reaching out of people. Of course, you know, like people say, like so and so would love to come visit the office and show you their such and such. Yeah, this is why, like, some, someone from Coors Light once showed up looking for me, and they had a bunch of clues. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, a, 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 like treasure hunt with Coors Light. So okay, he was um, wearing like a snowsuit. No. And he came in holding a frosted chest what? that he had just found in the Caroline, Arctic. What? And he said, I'm looking for Caroline. I don't know how they got my name. And then he like, it was like basically made me do an escape room in my own office to get the clues to this chest. And I, I'm just so bad at clues. And, it was just, and we opened it and it was two cores lights. Like that kind of stuff, if you were not vigilant, could just simply happen. How long did it take you to get the course really lights? Long. I'm not. I'm just not that kind of guy. And like, didn't have, like this is your office day, this is right? My office day, and also people were look, were like people were trying to work to deadline and looking at me like this was my fault. Like, I did not ask the course light man to come. It was awful. But another so this some sure. periodically yes. this kind of stuff would happen. Um, and uh, one of the people who came in, who was brought in by their PR person was a contestant on Bake Off. Yes. And I, I don't want to say exactly what she did because apparently it's something she did in the show. Definitely I don't want don't. to embarrass yes. her. But there was like a signature thing that she did in the show that like that the week that she was on, which was two years prior to, yeah, the, to this day, like was a social media moment of like, can you believe this person did this? Did this. In just a minute mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. And she sort of repeated that trick for us. In the office. In the office. With her sort of PR person there. Like, clearly this person who, yeah, like, course. signed her as, like, wanted to make her yes. a big deal. And it was so fucking weird. Yeah. Like, it, I felt, everyone just felt bad for this woman. Yeah. <laughs> who was just, like, made to perform this trick if she was kind of like a circus animal, but was also pursuing opportunities. Like yes. This because she was like, I, I'm good. Like, I, of why, course. why can't I do stuff? Yes. I should be on TV. Like, yeah. Why not? Yeah. You know? And fair enough. Like, if you go on that show, that's... That is part it's of not, the... It's not unreasonable or egotistical no. to expect something. No, it's not. It's not. Especially if you were a social media moment. Yeah. You know, to expect there to be, like, follow-up from that. It's tough, man. It's but tough it out tough. there. But it's also... It, it has made... There is a lot that I really love about Bake Off, but it's it has made baking feel like a different thing. Mm-hmm. The fact that Showstopper is now in our lexicon is not great. Like you don't think that's good. I don't think that's a good thing. I don't think that puts us in a nice place in the world. I just I I don't want it baking can also just be fun. And I think in a lot of ways it puts an enormous amount of pressure on people hosting and people baking and people Mm. who want to be good at baking and who might a few years ago, pre Bake Off, have been like the best baker in their office and everybody like really enjoyed their stuff. It's now like, oh yeah, but did you see Blah Blah's last week? That, that yeah. pretty amazing thing you know I, I just want I, I just love a cake I, I love, love a cake, a cake. And, and it does yeah and I don't think we need to have many showstoppers I don't think that most of the time we need to be making people's faces out of 
dough and cake and bread and things. I think a nice loaf of bread and a nice cake is a very nice thing to have. <laughs> the, the summation of this hour-long trip has been cake is cake nice. Cake is nice. <laughs> cake is nice. It doesn't have to be a thing. But I'm so appreciative of this kind of a journey we've been on with this. Yeah. Because I think probably um, listeners to this podcast probably think I'm like Greg Kinnear and you've got mail. But I'm just like looking around and like, is, that, is this anything? Is that, is that a club? Is that, is that a podcast? Are you but, writing about the typewriter again? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, but I'm, I'm fascinated now that I'm moving on from things that have specifically touched my life. Yeah. Onto things that like have really been the thread in the lives of others. And, yes. And baking has been a huge thread going through your life. Massively. I, I when I was at school, I, uh, I was a giant nerd, mm-hmm. surprising to no one. Um, and I, whenever you would get a pri- a school prize at the end of the year for being top of a subject you would get a book voucher. That's what we got at our school. Mm-hmm. And all of my book vouchers are now stuck into baking books. Aww. Many of which have come over to the UK with me, but lots of which are still in my parents' house at mm-hmm. home. Um, but those, those I, I was buying baking books when I was 13 years old. Like I was really teaching myself to bake at a very young age. Mm-hmm. My mum had a copy of Nigella Lawson's How to Be a Domestic Goddess. And I can read that now with, I think, the sort of tongue-in-cheekness that it was supposed to have. Mm. I was 13 and I didn't understand tongue-in-cheek things. <laughs> I, I couldn't yeah. read the tongue-in-cheek in that title. And all I wanted was to be a domestic goddess. That is what I wanted oh. to be when I grew up, was somebody who had the house that people came round to, who was the hostess, who had the great cakes, who had perfect things, who made stuff for my kids. And it has taken a lifetime to unpick that want and that sort of title and idea mm. from my existence of wanting to make a nice cake for my friends. And I think that's why I feel now quite protective of just it's okay to just want to make a nice cake. It doesn't have to be my job or a big yeah. thing or a thing that I put on Instagram. I'm like really actively now try and make cakes without putting them on Instagram. Yeah, because that is the first instant when you make yeah. anything, right? And particularly cake because they're beautiful. Yeah. They're beautiful. And I'm, I'm no, I now really try and I'm like, no, this was for the six people who are having it or the two people who are having it. This mm. wasn't for the big public thing. This is just for me. Yeah. And it's not, it doesn't need to be a part of my personality in a way that is forward facing. It can just be a thing that I enjoy to do. That's nice. That's I nice. know you've been on that journey. Yeah, me too. It's, it's interesting as well because if we talk in the last few years, there has been, I think it's eased off now a little bit, mm. but there was a real following on from cupcakes. There was yes. a, the baking novelty thing. Yes. Of like cronuts and you know it was all like oh yes rainbow something or other it, you know it, it, there's definitely like it's been ceaseless oh there's always very trend-led moments of like this yeah. new bakery's opened up and they only do blah yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly and and i also think that like office culture is a lot to do with that as well because yeah i, I do think that almost nobody goes into a crosstown donuts <laughs> They are ordering from the Crosstown Donuts. Yeah. yeah. Which is a shame because the coffee's actually very good. The coffee's good. And I think, yeah. you know, on a market, people are getting a, a donut. But I think yeah. you're right. Like, most of that industry is an office thing or a, yeah. a group thing or a, you know, a, the number of wedding cakes that are cupcake wedding cakes and those kind yeah. of things. It's that presentation of we're doing it for this moment. 
Yes. And it's interesting now walking around Soho, very near the place where the Hummingbird Bakery mm. used to be. And I, I honestly, I can't picture whether or not it's still there. I can't, I can't imagine it. <laughs> but, but now, if you, everywhere around that area, it is like not just the cakes that are beautiful, expensive, and cute, being queued for, but the places that they've been served. Like, yes. you've seen L&N Bakery is like a yes. pink Barbie house, sort of beautiful little area that is meant to be photographed. Meant to be photographed, right? It's, yeah. it's, it's designed to end up on Instagram. Yeah, which is fine. Yeah, like, totally. I don't, I don't feel cynical or like judgmental. No, no, no. It's a, re- it's a real thing. Of course it is. Yeah. Also, my whole career came because I put photos of my cakes on Instagram. Yeah, that is literally why I have a job. Is because I woke up early in the mornings before I went to work and took photos in daylight so that they looked better. Yeah, like I would bake a thing of an evening when I got home from work and I would wake and not eat any of it and then wake up first thing in the morning take a photograph of it and then take it to work like in the morning light yes yeah. because the morning light is lovely yeah and it, it makes for nice photos on Instagram but yeah I for years that's that's how I have a job I'm not critical of it it's just interesting yeah. how much baking aesthetic exists and how aware of it we are and yeah. how much it's seeped into everything I do Wow. Yeah. Well, this has been great. Really fun. <laughs> Thanks for coming over. You're so welcome. I love Thanks you for having me. Young. Love you too, Caroline. Um, you've got an album coming out, I think, next year? That is true. Um, you can't pre-order it. You can't do anything with it, but it's well, happening. Good to know. <laughs> it's called Experienced, and it's a big gay rom-com, and it's the most fun I've had writing anything ever. And it's, yeah, it, we are still doing final edits. Um, uh, but yeah, it will be next May, yeah. June, we think. Keep a lookout for it. Keep a lookout for it. You'll be able to miss it because it'll be so. It'll huge. be everywhere. <laughs> in everywhere. Um, and uh, in the meantime, yeah, uh, I no longer have a website, so you can't go and look at my baking recipes. But you can buy my cookbooks. Yes. Um, and I think you can also find lots of my recipes on the Guardian because I wrote for them for years and I can't take that oh, yeah. down. So that's all still there. Yeah. Um, but and you can also look through these very archives for two brilliant episodes with you. That One is of true. Which is on the Mona Lisa Smile. The other which is on the Camel Lawn. Yeah, we're very into sort of that mm, era. Era. Yeah. Forties, fifties. Yeah. What it all means. Mm-hmm. A-line skirts. A-line skirts! (laughs) No legs for you. No legs for me. (laughs) Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.